Welcome to Holocaust Histories, the podcast featuring mind-boggling stories from the Holocaust, remarkable tales of heroism and horror that are guaranteed to amaze you. Season 1. In the prime of their lives and careers, boxers' dreams are snatched and replaced by nightmares. Boxing is no longer for money and pride, but for bread scraps and survival. Fighting now takes place in concentration camps. The winner lives another day. The loser is killed. Dive into the astonishing stories of boxers' resilience and courage in the face of incomprehensible terrors. Each episode features a boxer with a different nationality and a unique experience during the Holocaust. Some will live, some will die. They will all fight to survive. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. You can send any questions, corrections, and comments to holocausthistories at gmail.com. This episode contains graphic descriptions and sensitive subject matters. Listener discretion advised. I don't want to have lived in vain like most people. I want to be useful or bring enjoyment to all people even those I've never met. I want to go on living even after my death. Anne Frank Johann Trollmann was born in Germany before the First World War to Sinti parents. Sinti were referred to by the Nazis as gypsies, a derogatory term. Much like the Jews, they were a minority group that the Germans disdained. The Nazis viewed them as an inferior race to be detained and murdered. Johann would become a professional boxer known for his phenomenal footwork. He would win the German Light Heavyweight Championship, only to have it revoked by the Nazis because he was a Sinti. Johann would be deported to concentration camps and recognized as a famous boxer, forced to fight with his life on the line. Besides these death fights, Johann faced numerous other horrors, including medical experimentation. This is a story of bravery and resilience. The story, the story of Johann Trollmann. Let's take a trip back to 1907, an eventful year. Taxis began operations in London and then New York. Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud famously met. Harry Houdini locked himself in chains while underwater and escaped 57 seconds later. Paper Towel and the UPS are created, as is Mother's Day. The first ever New York Times Square ball drop. Pike Place Market opens in Seattle, Washington. The Chilean army kill over 2,000 miners who were gathering on strike. An earthquake kills over 800 people in Jamaica. Ellis Island has its busiest year with over a million immigrants arriving, including over 11,000 in one single day. A lesser-known event also took place the same year. Johann Trollmann was born on December 27, 1907, in Wilsch, near Hanover, Germany. His parents struggled to support their nine children. Johann had five brothers and three sisters. His parents gave him the nickname Rukali, which translated to tree in Romani. Johann reminded them of a beautiful grown tree. The Trollman family were Sinti, an ethnic minority group of Roma people who migrated from modern-day India to Europe in the 15th century. Most arrived in Germany, and by 1910 they made up just 0.03% of the German population. 
They faced daily discrimination. They were banned from using public places. One law stated church bells should be rung when Sinti were in the area. By 1929, laws required Sinti to register with the government. The Germans had referred to Sinti and Roma as gypsies, meaning yokel or barbarian. Johann began boxing at the age of eight. By 1922, at the age of 15, he trained at boxing club BC Heroes in Hanover. Boxing was an extremely popular sport in Germany in the 1920s and 30s. Johann became an amateur boxer in order to earn money. He won the regional championship four times and then the title of the North German Championship. By 1928, Johann had over 100 amateur fights recorded. He changed boxing gyms and moved to the working class gym called the Workers Sports Club. The gym was also located in Hanover and doubled as a socialist and communist group. They opposed the growing nationalism in Germany. Athletes of this club refused to sing the German national anthem. Boxing fans nicknamed Johan the ballerina. His boxing style was akin to Muhammad Ali's, floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee, but 40 years earlier. As a middleweight fighter, Johan was remarkably fast on his feet, quickly dancing around the ring, sidestepping his opponents until they were exhausted. Then, he unleashed an assault of powerful punches. The more successful and popular Johan became, the more defamation he faced. The press began calling him Gypsy, or the Dancing Gypsy, who boxed in a non-German way. He was removed from the nomination list for the upcoming Olympic Games in Amsterdam because he was a Sinti. In 1929, at the age of 22, Johan decided to turn professional. He won his first fight against Willie Bowles in Berlin on October 18, 1929. He went on to win his next three matches until facing his first professional loss against Eric Tobek on January 10, 1930. Johan went on to win his next seven matches. His professional start was a successful one. Starting in 1932, he fought only the best boxers in the welterweight, middleweight, and light heavyweight divisions. He traveled to Vienna, Austria, and Antwerp, Belgium to compete, winning in Vienna in 1933 in a 9th round TKO and losing in Antwerp the same year by a 10th round points decision. January 30, 1933, the Nazi party took power of Germany and Adolf Hitler was appointed the Chancellor of Germany. Shortly after, political opponents were arrested and Hitler declared Germany the Third Reich. The first concentration camp, Dachau, was built and began to hold prisoners, specifically communists and labor union leaders. Less than two months after becoming chancellor, Hitler was appointed as the dictator of Germany. Just one week later, the Nazis organized a one-day boycott of all Jewish-owned businesses. The next week, a law passed that forced all non-Aryans to retire from civil service and legal occupations. On April 26, 1933, the Nazis created the Gestapo, a secret police division. It was created by Hermann Göring, a military and political leader who served in World War I as a pilot. The Nazis organized book burnings where upon a large fire in Berlin Square, thousands of books written by Jewish authors were destroyed. Other material burned included books on homosexuality, communism, and socialism. Anything that opposed Nazi views was thrown into the fire. 
The first mass burning occurred on May 6, 1933, and was organized by the German Student Union. The students burned 20,000 books. Four days later, they held another burning and destroyed 25,000 more. On July 14, 1933, the sterilization law was enacted, known as the Law for the Prevention of Genetically Diseased Offspring. This forced the sterilization of Germans with mental deficiencies, blindness, deafness, deformity, alcoholism, or any hereditary disease. Around 20,000 Berliners were sterilized. Just over a month later, Hitler began revoking individual citizenships of people he opposed. This included a few prominent Jewish authors. The Nazis had an impact on German boxing as well. They renamed the sport to German fist fighting, and non-Aryans were excluded from boxing gyms. Erich Selig was a German middleweight and light heavyweight boxing champion. He was also Jewish, born in Bromberg, a Prussian region at the time, now in Poland. Half of the population of Bromberg was Roman Catholic. The other half were German Protestants. There was a small Jewish community as well. The first four Jewish families arrived in 1772, and another seven families settled in 1774. By the year 1837, there were 420 Jewish families living in Bromberg. This made up of just 0.05% of the population. The Jewish population continued to grow rapidly in Bromberg in the 1800s. By 1871, 1,963 Jewish families had settled there. The Jewish population was now at about 6%. The next 30 years saw a drastic decrease in the population. By 1900, the number of Jewish families had dropped to about 500. The Seligs were one of many Jewish families who moved to bigger cities in hopes for better job opportunities and less discrimination. Towards the end of World War I, he moved to Berlin with his family. He was nine years old. Eric won his first 12 boxing matches, the first recorded on February 6, 1931. He won the German middleweight title on November 12th the same year, beating Hans Siegfried in a 12-round decision. Eric fought Johann in Berlin on June 3, 1932, and won in a 10th-round decision. Less than a year later, the 23-year-old Eric won the light heavyweight championship, beating Helmut Hartkopp on February 26, 1933. In April of 1933, the Nazis were furious a German Jew was the middleweight and light heavyweight boxing champion. The Nazi-run German Athletic Commission stripped Eric of his titles. The night before he was scheduled to defend his middleweight title, the Gestapo threatened to kill him if he entered the ring. They told him if he doesn't leave the country, him and his parents will be dead. Terrified, the Seligs fled to France the same evening. Ring magazine founder Nat Fleischer wrote in June 1933, for the first time in boxing history, a national sporting organization has stripped an athlete of his title because of his religion. Until the rise of the atrocious Hitler regime, it was an unbreakable tenet of boxing that a title could only be won and lost in the ring. The German Boxing Association will never receive such recognition for its bigoted and depraved rule directed against all Jewish fighters in Germany. The German Boxing Association shocked the entire boxing world with its ban on Selig, 
who is the national lightweight and middleweight title holder, and declared his titles vacant because he is Jewish. Selig was born in Germany and received ring honors for his fatherland, and yet he was stripped of his title simply because he is Jewish. He continued to box professionally in France, as well as matches in England and Belgium. He emigrated to the United States in 1935 and went on to box the top middleweight contenders. This included Billy Kahn, Mickey Walker, Teddy Yarrows, Fred Apostoli, Ken Overland, and Al Hostak. Eric fought Olympian Carmen Barr three times, including a match on April 23, 1937, in Cleveland, Ohio, in what The Ring magazine called one of the greatest fights in the history of the fight game. It was a slugfest that Eric won on a 10th round decision. His last professional match was in the New York Coliseum in Bronx, New York, on December 3, 1940. Between 1935 and 1940, he was ranked as high as number 5. His professional boxing record was 41 wins, 14 losses, and 17 draws, including two championship titles. After retirement from boxing, Eric married a woman named Greta, who had also been excluded from the Berlin 1936 Olympic Games, after already having qualified as a hurdler. In 1942, they moved together with their son to New Jersey and worked on a poultry farm. Decades later, in 1974, Eric Selig opened a boxing gym in Atlantic City. There, he mentored nine Golden Glove boxers. He took impoverished children from the streets and taught them how to defend themselves. He was extremely strict, but his students adored him. Unlike Eric, Johann stayed in Germany, despite the rise of Adolf Hitler and Nazism. On June 9, 1933, in Berlin, Johann fought for the German light heavyweight title against Aryan boxer Adolf Witt. Half a year earlier, Witt boxed the no-decision draw against Eric Selig. Johann was scheduled to fight Eric Selig this night for the light heavyweight title, but since he fled the country, the German Boxing Association replaced him with Witt. Trollman and Witt would be fighting for the title that was taken away from Selig. Johann entered the match weighing 156 pounds. Witt was stronger and larger than Johann, about 15 pounds heavier. Nevertheless, Witt could not contend with Johann's technical ability and skillful footwork. During the sixth round, the chairman of the German fistfight union had seen enough and gave an order to the referees to announce the fight as a draw. The Nazis could not tolerate a Sinti beating an Aryan. The spectators did not like this as it was clear Johann was dominating the fight. Chaos ensued. Loud boos erupted and chairs and punches were thrown. As the riot continued, the chairman relented and Johann was eventually deemed the winner. Johann stood in the center of the ring and wept as the crowd chanted his name. The Nazis and German Boxing Union were worried about his popularity. The following day, Boxsport magazine published an article on Johann, saying his punches weren't German. They also said that he did more theater than sport in the ring, and that he showed gypsy unpredictability. A week later, he received a letter from the German Boxing Union that stated his title was being revoked, just like Eric Selig's was. The reason given was an inadequate performance and an un-German boxing style. Author Roger Replinger said this of German boxing, German boxing style comes down to fighting in lockstep, 
one body next to the other, a slaughter until the moment when one of the fighters falls. True butchering, without tricks, without bluffs. This is what German boxing is like. Box Sport Magazine also wrote, Johan is handsome. He is the Latin lover type, epitomized at the time by Hollywood actor Rudolf Valentino. This draws women to the ring. Some worship him. He sends kisses to the audience during the fight. Watching Johan is a real joy. Nazi lawmakers stated, Johan does not allow the other fighter to close the distance. He almost never confronts his enemy directly, not of his own choosing anyway, only if the opponent forces him. This is unmanly, but the women who frequent his fights in ever greater numbers really like this. What Johan does reminds them of dancing. Regardless of the fact Johan had no title, he was still popular among boxing fans. The Nazis wanted him gone. They scheduled a fight they were confident he would lose. His opponent? Gustav Eder, a boxing superstar and champion. The fight took place on July 21st, 1933 in Berlin. The rules for the fight gave Eder a massive advantage, as boxers were forced to box in a German style, standing in the center of the ring flat-footed and throwing punches. Johann wanted to fight back against the oppression he was enduring by the Nazis and boxing authorities. He dyed his hair peroxide blonde, powdered his face and body with flour, and pretended to be Aryan, mocking the Nazis in attendance. Johann and Eder went blow for blow, and it was a bloody Johann who got knocked out in the fifth round. The Nazis were thrilled he had lost. He fought another ten professional matches, losing all but two. He ended his professional career with 31 wins, 19 losses, and 14 draws. Johann met Olga Bilda in Berlin in 1935 at the age of 28. On June 1st of the same year, Olga gave birth to a girl named Rita, and Johann and Olga got married. She was not a Sinti, and therefore Rita was classified by the Nazis as a half-gypsy. Half-gypsies were looked upon slightly less inferior than full gypsies. Three and a half months later, on September 15, 1935, the Nuremberg race laws were implemented. At a Nazi party rally in the German city of Nuremberg, the Nazis announced the Reich Citizenship Law, as well as the Law for the Protection of German Blood and German Honor. The Reich Citizenship Law stated only racially pure Germans were allowed to hold German citizenships. This was defined as a person of German or related blood. Jews, Sintis, and others were defined as a separate race and could not be citizens of Germany. The Nazis referred to mixed-race people as Mischling. The law for the protection of German blood and German honor banned race mixing. The Nazis referred to race mixing as race defilement. They banned intermarriages and relations between non-Aryans and German citizens. Many Germans stopped socializing with Jews and stopped shopping in Jewish-owned stores. The wholesalers who continued to do business with Jews were marched through the streets with placards around their necks that proclaimed them as traitors. More race laws came into place over the next six years. August 17, 1938, the law of the alteration of family and personal names was announced. Jews could now only be given specific government-approved names. All Jews whose names were not on the approved list had to add another first name, Israel for men, Sarah for women, and then report it to the government. 
With the race laws in effect, Johann faced more oppression than ever. He worked low-wage jobs at bars and factories and fought bare-knuckle for money. He received death threats and was scared for his family's life. Despite being a non-Sinti Berliner, Olga's life was at risk because she was married to a Mischling. Rita, their daughter, was also at risk because she too was labeled a Mischling for being a half a gypsy. Johann divorced Olga and left his family in order to protect them. Later that year, he was deported to a labor camp in Hanover, Germany. He worked there for a couple months and was released and went into hiding, spending time in the Teutoburg forest to avoid arrest. On October 5th, 1938, the Nazis passed another law, the Decree on Passports of Jews. German passports of all German Jews were invalidated. For their passports to become valid again, German Jews had to submit them to a passport office so that they could be stamped with the letter J. All Sinti were forced to carry special identity cards. So-called pure gypsies had to carry a brown card and mixed gypsies blue cards. By 1943, over 20,000 Germans carried these cards. To avoid being sent to a concentration camp, Johann agreed to be sterilized. He was drafted into the army in 1939 and was based in Poland, Belgium, and France. He was wounded in battle on the Eastern Front against the Soviet Union in 1942. Returning home to Germany on leave, he was arrested by the Gestapo and dishonorably discharged from the military. A new decree was now in effect which excluded Sinti from being in the military. In June 1942, Johann was arrested and brought to the Gypsy Center, located in Hanover, Germany. There he was brutally abused, losing over 60 pounds in three months. Four months later, he was arrested again and this time deported to Nuengame concentration camp near Hamburg. He received prisoner number 9841 and a brown triangle patch with the letter Z, the Nazi designation for gypsies. Nuengame was established on December 13, 1938. It was a subcamp of Sockenhausen concentration camp, which was located near Orianenburg, just north of Berlin. The SS brought about 100 prisoners to Nuengame to begin construction. By June 1940, the prisoner population grew to 1,000 and 3,000 by the end of the year. In 1942, the SS sent all Jews still alive at the camp, about 400 people, to Auschwitz. Sinti prisoner Josef Forgex said, My mother, father, and I were collected from our town. The train ride was a humiliating experience. Crowded and cold, men and women all together with no toilet and almost no food. The soldiers came and cut everyone's hair so we were bald and could not recognize each other. We were put in a big building which was for animals, and there were thousands of people. All of us were Roma. It was very common to be hungry. People got diseases. Another prisoner of Nuengame, Charles Gugieri, said, We go into a room where we are stripped of everything we have, watches, rings, wallet, clothes, etc. We have to go out naked as a worm. What sad scenes in this place. It's the little guy who wants to keep his fiancé's ring, the dad a little photo of his children, the young patriot that of his mum. It's not the blows that make us suffer, it's the taking of the last object that linked us to the loved ones who remained in France. SS physician Dr. August Heismeyer conducted medical experiments on prisoners at Nuengame concentration camp. He visited the camp about once a week. His experiments focused on pulmonary tuberculosis, 
He injected living tuberculosis into prisoners, including 20 children on record at Nuingame. Marcel Prenant was in prison at Nuingame concentration camp and said the following, The infirmary was only one cog in the enormous human crushing machine. Thus, the first surgeon was a German among the oldest in the camp. When he arrived in Nuingame, he was a taxi driver and had never touched a scalpel, nor done any medical studies. Nevertheless, the SS command improvised him as a surgeon. No one could say how many patients he killed during his early experiments. By August 1943, Nuingame's prisoner population reached 10,000. While in prison and forced to hard labor, Johann met Albert Lukemeyer, a former boxing referee and commander of Nuingame. Replinger wrote that Johann, at first, does not know if the SS soldiers recognized him. He thinks it would be much better if they didn't. In the end, Luke Meyer stared at him for a long time, not the way he normally looked at prisoners. He recognized a boxer in him. Johann knew this at once. Luke Meyer arranged fights every evening for Johann against SS men. Starved and exhausted, he fought for the entertainment of Luke Meyer, the SS guards, and some prisoners who were allowed to watch. Johann thought death was inevitable, having to box every evening. On February 9, 1943, with the help of other prisoners, he faked his death. Johann took the identity of a deceased prisoner who had heart failure. They cremated the body of this prisoner and even sent a bill to the family. In reality, Johann was then relocated to Wittenberg concentration camp, where he hoped to be unrecognized. At Wittenberg, he mainly worked at the plant of a company called Fricks, which made textile fibers from straws. However, in the winter of 1943, he was identified again by the SS as a famous boxing champion and forced to fight once again. This time, not every evening, but on Wednesday and Sunday evenings. One fight was against Emil Cornelius, a German criminal before the war and a very despised man. Hated by Nazis for being Jewish and hated by Jews for serving the Nazis as a capo. As concentration camps populations grew, the Nazis needed more SS men to guard the prisoners, so they created capos. A capo was a prisoner in charge of other prisoners. They were often German and Austrian political criminals and eventually non-Germans and Jews served as capos as well. The most brutal of prisoners, often convicts or gangsters before the war, were often designated. It also caused a rift between prisoners turning victim against victim. Heinrich Himmler, a German Nazi politician and commander of the SS, said, A capo gets special privileges. The minute we are not satisfied with him, he stops being a capo and goes back to sleeping with the others. He knows only too well that they will kill him on the first night. Special privileges included better food rations and clothing. They were also spared of the harshest labor. Ultimately, the capos had a greater chance to survive. Himmler stated, We organized our system of control over these subhumans. One prisoner is the overseer of others, if you like, with the responsibility for 30, 40, or even more than 100 other prisoners. He is responsible for meeting the work target, for preventing any sabotage, for seeing they are all clean and the beds are set up. Jews and Russians and Poles and Czechs and Frenchmen, wherever criminals are found in these territories under German occupation, they are sent to us. Because we can't get by with Germans only, we naturally arrange things so that a Frenchman is a capo in charge of Poles, or a Pole in charge of Russians, so that a nation is played off against another. Capos largely fell into two categories, those who used their power to help fellow prisoners and those who used their power for Nazi approval. Emil Cornelius was the latter. 
They had Johann fight Cornelius in April of 1944. Johann won the fight, knocking out the hated Capo. On April 9, 1944, a revenge-seeking Cornelius snuck up behind Johann as he worked. He beat him to death, some say with a club, while others say with a shovel or a lantern. The SS then fired upon Johann's body and dumped him in a mass grave at Wittenberg. At 35 years of age, Johann was dead, one of an estimated 500,000 Sinti and Roma murdered during the Holocaust. On May 4, 1945, British troops liberated Nuingame. The SS had evacuated around 10,000 prisoners days before. Only 500 survived the death marches to other camps. Upon liberation, many capos were attacked, and some were even killed by the survivors. After the war, the term capo was considered a vicious insult the Jew gave another Jew. The SS incarcerated approximately 105,000 people at Nuingame concentration camp from December 1938 until May 1945. The majority were Soviets at around 34,000 people. Around 9,000 were Germans and another 13,000 were Jewish. Out of the 105,000 prisoners, 42,900 were killed. Eric Selig passed away on January 19, 1984 at the age of 73 in New Jersey. Germany has never restored Selig's titles that were taken away by the Nazis. In 2003, 70 years after having his title revoked by the Nazis, the German Federation recognized Johann Trollmann as the winner of the 1933 championship. In 2010, German art collective Buigang Nor displayed a memorial in Berlin called 9841, Johann's prisoner number. In 2015, Italian alternative rock band CFF released the song titled Come Fiori that was dedicated to Johann. In 2016, a graphic novel by Judd Nirenberg was created titled Johann Trollmann and Romani Resistance to the Nazis. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. You can send any questions, corrections, and comments to holocausthistories at gmail.com.